Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We are going to shake it up a little bit today, and we want to start in the Word, and then I want to leave you uh, in worship today and in celebration over what we hear uh, from the Word of God. Last night, we had an event with uh, the, the deacons in the church, and uh, actually Mike Spell, who's in here, he had, had this guy come in, uh, he has kingdom dogs. I don't know if you ever heard of that ministry, but well-trained dogs that honestly will make you realize how stupid your own dog is. But it was interesting, and it, 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 I can't like start without saying this truth that he gave. He asked a few of us to come and pray over him before he spoke and, and not really pray over his dogs, but, but they would do tricks and all that, and he would relate it to him being the, uh, you know, the master, the father, and then the dogs, you know, being, you know, his children, disciples, his sheep. And he made a comment that stuck with me, and actually it kind of it pierced me a little bit, the truth of it. He said today, he goes, you have to understand, he goes, if these dogs don't perform, he goes, that's the opinion you're going to make of me. He goes, you're going to, he says, everybody here tonight is going to base their opinion of me based on the performance of my dogs. And so basically, if the dogs don't perform and, and don't do their thing, then it's a reflection of him. And then he made the point, he goes, that's exactly how we are to our heavenly Father, in that we are, we are what people see in relation to who the Father is, his reputation, and everything like that. And by the way, the dogs did great. They blew me away, almost to the point where I almost bought my Boston Terrier up here to see if we can make some sort of uh, analogy with my little dog. But uh, I have had him up here before, and, and I hate to tell you, she has pooped in nearly every room in this church. And so it's, uh, it would not be good to have brought Charlie, my little dog, uh, up here. But what, what a thought. What a, I mean, and, and that's his whole analogy of doing his dogs is how they listen to the master, how they obey the master. And, and he would always say this, and I've never said this to my dog but, but his dog's name was Moses. One was Moses and one was Preacher. But he said to Moses, he goes, Moses, sit because I love you. And, and he, would, he would give the commands as a, a command of love, not of, you know, punishment or trying to keep the, the dog in line. But it just, it was such a perfect picture of God's love for us and our desire to obey God and follow his commands in the best sense of the term. And then, and then my obedience to God is basically the reflection on the world of who my father is and what he is like. Just a powerful word. As we're going through this, uh, uh, this series called Divine Invitation, we're looking at the uh, book of Mark. And, and Mark is... Uh, is really, it's the stories of the Apostle Peter and all his experiences that, that are given through the penmanship of the disciple Mark. And so Mark writes down all these stories of Peter. If you know Scripture well enough, you know Peter as this uh, guy that he's pretty reactive 
you know, he's the guy that reacts every time something happened. And as a result, the, uh, the, the gospel of Mark is a very fast-paced gospel. In fact, all your theologians will say that the word immediately is one of the most used and repeated words in the gospel of Mark. And that it's just this fast-paced gospel. And then it does this. It presents Jesus Christ not as the, and we're going to talk a lot about him being a king today, but it presents him as the suffering servant of us. And so as we go through Mark, you're going to start seeing that theme uh, kind of punch out of the text in that he is our suffering servant and a servant of us, and we'll see how he suffered for us. He starts straight up, uh, Mark 1.1. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to to the book of Mark. We're going to stay in Mark 1 and 2 today, and that's the only place we'll be. And uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, we do have copies here, and you can get those and give them to your friends, whatever you need to do. Some of them should be uh, under the seats there, but we'll also have the words up uh, on the screen. But here's, here's what it says, Mark 1, 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Mark starts right out, and he jumps right into the gospel in Mark chapter 1. And here's the theme that we're going to hear over and over and over again. And it's the message of Jesus Christ. And what he is saying is this. He goes, the kingdom of God is near, and an invitation has been extended. The kingdom of God is near, and an invitation has been extended. Jump down to verse 14. And look at it with me. It says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And again, God's good news is this, is that the kingdom of God is here and an invitation has been extended. And we looked a lot at verse 15 last week. I want to hang out there and then I want to take these two words that we're going to see. It's repent and believe. And I want to look at those words today and, uh, and, and let's just see where we end up. I'm not going to present to you if, you, if you've read your Bible, you're not going to get an amazingly new truth. But here's what I want to point out. Here's, here's the filter that I want you to listen to today. Is that maybe I'm not going to give you a brand new truth about what repentance and belief or faith is. But the truth I want you to grab, and maybe the filter would be if you're a Christ follower is that have you been operating with a right understanding of repentance and a right understanding of faith or belief? And so have those things come through in your mind. Verse 15 says this, The time promised by God has come at last. It's a historic time. The time of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is within reach. It is right here. The time has come. We talked a little bit last week. We said, don't mistake the kingdom of God being near as something that's coming in this future event. The kingdom of God has come. The Old Testament is now in our past, and we have a New Testament, a new covenant with Jesus that we have now And it is a powerful, powerful thing. And so basically, God's rule, God's kingship is here and now. And the invitation has been extended. And so here are the two responses that we would have. Last part of verse 15. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so I want to... Uh, 
take a look at those again, repentance and belief. And so let me define repentance for you. Biblical repentance is changing your mind. You've often heard it said, and, and this is true, that it's a, a military term, and it is. It's, it's like an about-face. When you repent, it's an about-face. It's a, it's a 180. You're turning from something and to something. But in biblical repentance, it, it is also happening in the mind. And so it's a, it's a change of mind. You're changing your mind from something old to something new. Let me, let me help us understand this in a very terrible way. How many of you believe, and I want to change your mind today if you do believe this, how many of you believe the appropriate way to put a roll of toilet paper on the holder would be that the, that the paper goes over? How many of you believe that that is the appropriate way? How many would you, okay, we have a few. How many would you say the paper going under is the correct way? I ask for a hand raise only, and I do not appreciate the verbal comments. Let me, who said over is right? Okay, all of you people are wrong. Okay, that's, I, I, I do not understand that. It's, it's much just better to be, to be under. But now, I promise you I'm going to get to a point. I want to change your mind today. And I want you to go home, and you need to go to every bathroom in your house, every bathroom in your neighbor's house, and reverse the toilet paper and put it the right way. Here's the reality. If I, were able to, if I was able to convince you that the right way to hang toilet paper was to do that, and you went and you changed all the toilet paper, then maybe that would be repentance. And I know we don't like that term in terms of toilet paper, okay? But... If you go home today and you say, you know what, milt is dumb, but I'm going to turn the toilet paper anyway. Or maybe you've said to your spouse, your mom, your dad, that's dumb, but I'm going to do it anyway just to please you. I'm going to reverse the toilet paper. That's actually not repentance at all. That's just copied behavior. Now, jump out of the toilet paper realm with me and go to Christ. If we are following Christ, but we have not changed our mind, if we have not changed our mind that God's ways are right, if we have not changed our mind that, that God's forgiveness is free, and listen to me clearly on that, if we haven't changed our mind, if we still believe that I can earn my way into a place with God, then you really haven't repented and believed. You see, you, you've just simply changed your behavior. And here, here's what I want to say about that. The, the, measure, the measure of repentance is a changed mind. Think on that a bit. The measure, if you're going to measure something, if... It, to define if, it, if it's right, wrong, true, whatever, the measure is that your mind was changed. You did, you did a 180 in your mind. Now, that's the measure. The evidence is in behavior. Are, are you starting to track with me a little bit on the spiritual implications of that? Um, 
Today, being in church is a evidence of a changed heart and a changed mind. But it can also just be conformed behavior. Because your husband wants you here, because your wife wants you here, because your mom wants you here, because your dad wants you here, because your kids want you here, or you just think it's the right thing to do. It'd be embarrassing to stay home today. That, that would be just conformed behavior to a norm that someone has put on you. But, but true repentance is when you have a changed mind. That is the measure, and then the behavior uh, follows. And so repentance does this. It starts with a changed mind that results in changed behavior. I gave you the toilet paper illustration to hopefully make that kind of galvanize into your mind. I, w- I want you to think about the terms of repentance as we talk through these next two stories of, uh, that Mark are going to give us. And it's two stories of healing. And so I want, you to, I want you to physically keep in mind the true definition of repentance is that it's a changed mind that results in changed behavior. It's a massive difference. In fact, it might be the difference between eternity you know, of, of where we would spend eternity. Because the, the typical Western culture mindset is that if we do enough good to outweigh the bad, then we get to spend eternity in heaven. And, and that is not repentance. That is just modified behavior. Repentance is a changed mind in that you give yourself over to God. And then we get to belief. And so you have repentance. It starts with a changed mind that results in changed behavior. And then you have belief. Belief is simply trusting and entrusting yourself to something. And in many ways, it's entrusting yourself to your new way of thinking of who Jesus is and who God is. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, we would love God and then we would do good works. We would obey his commands. In in the New Covenant, it's we love God and we accept the forgiveness of Jesus knowing, knowing that our works, our, our acts of righteousness are, are, are just not good enough. You know, it's the freedom that Jesus has given. And so we've got these two, two stories of repentance and faith. And what I want to do is I want to draw out that true meaning. And, and I think it could modify our behavior, but there's a good chance that your behavior is not going to change today if you're a Christ follower, but simply your mindset and that you'll understand the true definition of uh, repentance and to have a proper understanding. If you would, let's pray together as we get into these stories. Father, we love you. Thank you for today, Father, and we, we look forward to worshiping you in a moment. And Father, we just want to start with your word. And Father, I pray that we could just have this right understanding of faith, belief, repentance. And then, Father, we want to celebrate that, Lord, towards the end as we leave out of here uh, today. And so, Father, be with us. I pray that you would, Father, remove me from the equation today. I pray that anything I would say would be filtered, Father, just through you. And that, Father, what what is heard today would be your words and not mine. Father, filter out anything I would say that is unpleasing to you. And, Father, I pray that your word would be made clear uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to to Mark chapter 1. 
Push on down to verse 39. And if you've been in church for a while, these are probably going to be two familiar stories. And what I want to point out in Mark is that you'll remember is that Mark is a fast-paced gospel. It's moving fast, and it's moving fast in order to give us a, a good definition of what repentance and faith is. And so the first one is Jesus healing the leper. And you'll find this in many of the uh, Gospels. It says, So Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And he said this. He said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean again. Listen to the words. If you are willing, Jesus... You can heal me and make me clean again. Let me give you the perfect definition of biblical faith. It's very simple. It's this. It's being confident that Jesus can and then hopeful that he will. Faith is being confident that Jesus can and hopeful that Jesus will. The leper comes before Jesus, and in full faith, as we define it simply, which is confidence, he says, Lord, if you can, or sorry, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And so the an appropriate faith, and we struggle with this when we pray. When we pray for someone for healing, we, we all have that moment in our mind, is, is the Lord really going to heal? Is the Lord, is, is he going to do this? Here's the appropriate way to go and pray healing over someone. And it is having a 100% confidence in the power of Jesus Christ to heal that person but then also having a 100% hope that he will. Now, why do we throw hope in there? Because it is, it is a bowing to God, not your will, or not my will, but your will be done, Lord. It is an acknowledgement that I am not God, and in fact, God, this might not be in your will, but I am 100% confident you can, and I am... 100% hopeful that you will. I, I, I had healing in my life. I think I've shared with you many times I had arthritis uh, when I was a child. My family took me in front of the elders, and, and I know the faith of my parents were strong. I was pretty little at the time, but I remember the prayers as the pastors went around the room, and I heard them, them give 100% confidence that God can but then they, they didn't give an out as a lack of faith. They yielded to the will of God. And so I've, I've seen that healing uh, in my life. I've seen where God uh, can heal and will heal. Here's what you're doing. You're claiming the power of Jesus and you're yielding to the will of Jesus. Take a look at verse uh, 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. And here's the key word. Here's what he said. He goes, I am willing. Be healed. And a, a key in that, and kind of 
take a little rabbit trail here. Jesus reached out and touched him. If, if you know Old Testament rituals, Old Testament sacrifice, if, if you came in contact with a leper, and, and leprosy was basically any skin disease. In fact, many of us would probably be called a leper in biblical times if you have, uh, you know, uh, whatever it would be. I'm not going to start naming skin diseases. That would be terrible. But uh, if you have anything like that, you would be considered a leper. They didn't understand the full of what it was. But now there is actual leprosy as well, not discounting that. But anyone who had any skin disorder was considered unclean. But then on top of that, anyone who reached out and touched another who had a skin disease was also considered unclean. And here were the rules. And this becomes really important in this story and the next story. But here were the rules. You had to leave what you were doing in order to be considered clean. You had to go to the temple, meet with the priest, and the priest performed a ceremony, performed sacrificial. You can look it all up in Leviticus 14. It's an interesting read. And then you were considered clean if the priest declared you clean. Now, we are geographically one full week's walk from the temple where Jesus is right now. But I want you to see what Jesus did. Okay, He said, I am willing, be healed. And he healed him. Then verse 42, it says, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Jesus does this a lot and very few listen to him. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Well, you're going to see in verse 45, he started telling everybody. And that kind of leads into the next story. But he says, instead do this. Go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses. Again, Leviticus 14. For those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And don't miss this. Usually, you would send someone to the priest to be cleansed. Jesus is sending him to give evidence and testimony that he already had. This is the power of Jesus. This affirms what Jesus is saying, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It is near. And so he sent the man to the priest as a testimony, also revealing this time of transition. Then verse 45 again, but the man went and he spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what happened, just as you and I would. But now that presented a problem. Here was the problem. It, it wasn't that Jesus wanted to keep it a secret and all that, but it made crowds begin to gather. And Jesus was in a home, and we're going to see in the very next one, uh, in fact, turn to Mark chapter 2 in this next story of faith. In Mark chapter 2, all of a sudden the house is full where Jesus is preaching, and nobody can, can get in. There's a crowd. All these things are going on, and it is packed. Everybody went, and it is a good thing. But it is just packed because people have heard what Jesus has done. They've heard the message already. The kingdom of God is near. They're here to check this out. There's also religious leaders there that are there to check it out. And they're trying to find a way again to arrest Jesus because they don't like what he is saying. It is uncomfortable for them. But then in the midst of Jesus preaching and declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is near, just about that time, and, and, and you can fill in the blanks, but, but four men had grabbed a paralytic man, a man who was paralyzed, on a mat, and they took him up on the roof, and they started cutting a hole in the roof. 
And it was probably very loud of that day. And so probably the first indications was just stuff dropping, you know, from the roof. And then now here comes a dude being, you know, brought down in a mat. You know, uh, look at verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And then Jesus, seeing their faith, what do you think he saw? What do you think he saw? He saw a confident hope. Confident Jesus could, hopeful he would. And Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Hang on that for a bit. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. What? You don't have to say it out loud. What would be your thoughts? You just carried a dude up on the roof, lowered him down because he was paralyzed. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Is that okay? Do I need to do another hand raise? How many of you would be okay with that? I'll be honest enough to say, hey, whoa, dude. We're here to get the legs going. We'll deal with the sin later. And, and let me explain. That is our mindset. And, and I, I want you to hang on to that. Our mindset would be, and maybe, I, I'm going to say at least 80% of you think like I do. And, and you would be trying to get a note to Jesus and say, hey, you, you misunderstood. He's not just laying there peacefully. He can't move his legs he goes, we're here for you to heal him, then we'll deal with the sin problem later. But Jesus identified the real problem up front, but it's bigger than that. I want you to see what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus is bringing in, and he is showing how the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, he said, my child, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there, they thought to themselves exactly not what we were thinking. They thought this. They said, this dude just crossed a line. They said, this is blasphemy and only God can forgive sins. Now, I want you to listen because there is a tendency to only grab the 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 theological truth of what Jesus is doing without grabbing the theological application to your own life. If you're a Christ follower, then there is a tendency for us to view people and we see physical needs before we see a spiritual need. And I think God prioritizes that for us in here, is that we need to have a broken, broken heart for those with a spiritual need. If, if you're not yet a Christ follower, you're still on a spiritual journey to faith, and that's why you're here, you're trying to figure it out. What I want you to see is that, is that while, while you might have a concern for your needs and maybe your uh, uh, health things, maybe where you are at, you know, a job, maybe it's uh, a family issue, 
there is a tendency when we're on a journey to faith, we haven't really stepped across that line, there's a tendency for us to want to try and fix all those things on our own, where in reality, it's not our job to do. And so Jesus cuts right to the heart, and he says, I want you to receive me. I want, I want you to repent. I want you to change your mind about everything you thought about who God was and receive me because I offer forgiveness for free. And I want you to entrust me, your life, to the kingdom that has come. And so the, the temple priests, they say to themselves, no temple? Or, or, or the religious leaders, they say, no priest, no temple? You know, what about going back for the forgiveness of sins? This is blasphemy. This is terrible. And then Jesus, he does end up healing. But, but think about this. The leper was healed by faith. The paralytic was forgiven by faith. And we're not meant to draw any conclusions about the spiritual condition of the leper versus the paralytic. This is actually focused on Jesus, not on the two individuals. And so you, have to, you can't jump out of the passage and start making these comparisons and things like that. What Jesus is doing is in a, a systematic way of, of healing first the leper. He showed that the faith, a confident faith in him, a confident belief in him, knowing that Jesus could, hoping that Jesus will, he showed that that type of faith is what heals. And then when the paralytic was before him, he revealed that Jesus himself is the good news. In fact, he, when it comes to the religious uh, leaders of the law, the, the teachers of the religious law, he crossed the line with them. It, it, I mean, basically, at this point, it was on. Now, Jesus, here, here comes the theological truth in it all. And this is really cool, what Jesus is doing. And so hang with me. We are almost done. It says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And... and and before I go to that theological truth, let me, let, let me break something down here. In, in ancient times, they believed that there was always, a, always being the key word, a direct correlation between sin and sickness. And so they would believe that if you had a child that was sick, then either that child had sinned or the parents uh, had sinned. Uh, and, and I can tell you as a testimony that there is no truth in that because... Uh, God gave me that illness, and I am grateful today for what he did. I wouldn't be here today without the, the illness that I believe was a gift to me to draw me closer to him. Now, can sin be a, or can, can illness be a result of, of sin? Absolutely. The, the most obvious one would be sexual sin, in that we have uh, illness that follows that. But if you need to read up on that and that, and that sin or, or health is not always a result of uh, sin, go to John 9. And so Jesus speaks on that in John 9. Jesus is talking about the, the, the view that we get from Genesis. Our sin opened the door for sickness and disease to come into our world. And so hang with me if you haven't tracked with me. 
our sin, the sin of man, allowed the open door for basically a world to fall apart in that sickness and disease has become a part of our world. Jesus is about to do something to prove who he is. Here's the deal. If Jesus can forgive the consequences of sin, heal somebody, in their mind it's always a consequence, then he is also the one who can forgive the act of sin. And so Jesus, in his masterful way, he gets the teachers of the religious law all riled up, thinking this is blasphemy, this is heresy, how dare you say that the, you know, you're as powerful as the temple? You know, you do not have the right to forgive sin, Jesus. In fact, look, this guy is just laying on a mat. He did nothing to receive forgiveness. Jesus, you don't have that right. He needs to get up, obey commands, do all this, and then the priest will offer that forgiveness. But Jesus says, no, with one word, I can offer forgiveness of sin, and I'll do that. Jesus says, if you will repent, change your mind, and entrust, believe in me. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home, and then jumped up. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out throughout all the stunned out onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And, and, and let me tell you why nothing happened after that. Why Jesus wasn't arrested. Because it comes back to that point that he, beyond a shadow of a doubt, proved to them that, number one, he riled them up by forgiving the sin. But then he showed them that the one who can forgive sin is the one that can take away the consequences of sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did for me and you. And that is a picture of his salvation for us. And so I really have just a few questions for you. Have, have you repented? Have you truly changed your mind or have you only changed your behavior? Uh, at this point, if, if you are, are working on changing behavior and you haven't really changed your mind about just giving yourself to God, then, then you're still pounding through a door that is just going to frustrate you. Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, get your act cleaned up, get everything done, then you come to church. He says no. He goes, you know what, you, you come to church, not even church, he goes, you come to me broken hurting, sinful, and allow me just to forgive that with one word because you believe in me. That's what Jesus wants to do. And then I would say this, and it's kind of the same question. Are, are you 100% confident in God or are you 100% confident in your own righteousness? It's a massive difference. Are you confident in, in God's grace over you that is free or do you place your confidence in your own righteousness, which I'm here to tell you is never enough. The grace of God is 100% free, but somehow we let our own acts of righteousness get in the way, and, 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 and we want to do and do and do and obey and obey and obey, and then we mess up, we can't figure that out, we're never good enough, 
But we never sit back and just change our mind and say, God, forgive me. And I know the kingdom of God is right here. I have to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to uh, have the, the band come up and we're going to start worshiping. But I, I want you to do one thing today. I just want you to, to have that honest, honest question with yourself. Is, uh, have you allowed God to change your mind that then changes behavior? Have you allowed God to change your mind, renew your mind to the point that has changed your behavior? Or is righteousness 100% work for you? It's kind of a gut check and only you know the answer. All we can see and all you can see of me is my behavior, my external behavior. That's the only thing you've got to judge me on. But Christ looks at the heart, the changed mind that results in changed behavior. Father, we come to you and I pray that there would be anybody here who has never, ever, ever stepped across that line of faith, that, Lord, you would just give them the boldness to step up and do that today. Father, we pray that you would hear our praises to you today. And Father, we give you praise for who you are, for what you have done, and Father, for the freedom of the grace that you give us. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to renew our mind, renew our mind, renew our mind. And Lord, may we have that same faith, Lord, that Father, we know, we know, we are 100% confident that you can But, Father, if it's not your will, so be it, because we trust you. Father, if there's someone here struggling with a decision, if there's someone here struggling with a a hurt, and that, Father, it just keeps on nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging, I pray that they would take that attitude of faith, Lord, that biblical attitude of faith, that, Lord, they would reveal to you that they are 100% confident that you can. But then, Father, yield to your will. Father, not our will be done, but your will be done. Father, we give you this time where we worship you, we thank you for it, and pray that, uh, that Lord, you're, uh, uh, you would just be glorified in our words now. And Father, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.